welcome in everyone. This is another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast, but this is the Rec Room edition. Uh, so if you're wondering, what is the Rec Room? It is something that we do every month. We'll connect a premium member of the Rec.Poker uh, membership pro- platform and connect them with a wrecking crew member of their choice. They get to bring a hand for discussion, a topic for dis- discussion, and sit up one-on-one with that person and just talk poker. Uh, if that's something that you're interested in, all you have to do is email jim at rec.poker, submit your hand, the topic that you want to talk about, and the wrecking crew member that you would like to meet with. And I don't know how it all works out, but I'm assuming Jim has some fancy way of picking the lucky members every month to uh, meet with the wrecking crew members. Uh, but like the Rec Poker podcast, this is sponsored by Running Aces Hotel Racetrack Casino, uh, website AMP, and smallsmallbusiness.com. So thank you to our sponsors. Uh, this month, your host is none other than myself, Taylor Moss. Uh, and I'm joined by uh, the one and only Chris Jones. Chris, you've brought a hand to discuss in the rec room. Yeah. Let's really, talk about it. I'm excited to talk about this one. Um, let me see. Should I should I pull up the, the screen now and just share it? Sure. So if you're watching uh, through video, we'll be like watching the hand, but I'll try and discuss as much about the dynamics of the hand as we can chris will as well yeah um so if you are just listening you will hopefully get the same experience as everyone else all right let me put this hand here get the full screen going so uh just a little bit of context this is an acr tournament um it's a 15 dollars entry there were about three thousand runners and now we're 10 left so there's two tables of five we're 10 left uh in a you know pretty and then the up top there's about uh fifty two hundred dollars and um the next uh payout is about three hundred dollars and then to make the final table the next person knocked out will create the final table and at the final table, it um, it's uh, four hundred and forty or four hundred and fifty dollars. So, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, a small little jump there. Well, not that small, but you know, a nice little jump there. Uh, but obviously, all the big money um, is up top. So that's kind of the our initial context. Yeah. So we are in crunch time here. Yeah, for sure. This is this is huge decisions, huge ICM implications. Uh, everything that we do, incredibly important. And so we're 10 left. We are in the really either uh, earned or fortunate spot, depending on your opinion, uh, of being in second uh, chips. Uh, We've got uh, one player who has us covered uh, in the whole field. And we are both, the two of us are really the dominating um, chip people in this tournament left. So I have about seven and a half million chips. The chip leader has about 8.1 million chips and the next highest chip stack is 4.7 million. And it goes down from there, including several uh, short stacks. Um, So uh, we're in a, we're in a really great position and I'm at the same table as this chip leader. And one thing I should mention before this uh, hand begins is there's been mostly a dynamic here of us leaving each other alone. Um, we've been really, um, I I have yet to really tangle with this player. Um, we've really like, if, if I get in a pod, he gets out, if he gets in a pod, I, I get out. Um, so that's been kind of the dynamic at play. Um, and there's been a lot of, um, 
there has been a lot of the short stacks shoving, but they've been mostly like trading stacks, uh, kind of going back and forth. There has not been mm-hmm. a knockout here for a while. So that's kind of our initial yeah. kind of context for this. Okay. So but before we even get to the hand, yeah. um, like general game plan of what you're thinking in this spot, like what, what are the general things that you're going after the things that you're trying to do or not try to do when we're in this exact spot? I I'm really trying to um, I'm, I'm opening up my, my opening range um, to a decent amount because we're shorthanded and because I have uh, a table that has not been fighting back very much towards those chip leaders. Um, and I am, but I'm trying to avoid that other big stack basically. So, um, I'm trying to take cheap pots. I think there's a bubble here. People really want to make this final table. It, the things have been tightening up a lot. So I've been opening up my sort of opening range, um, mm-hmm. which may help explain <laughs> where we, some of the position we get ourselves in here. Um, but I'm, I'm not looking to play big pots. I'm not looking to gamble too much away with this big stack. Mm-hmm. Um, to a certain yeah. extent, you know, I'm still willing to, and that's part of the question that'll come up here, but, uh, yeah, they, I mean, that's exactly like how we should be approaching this spot. If we're second in chips and we've got first in chips at our table, along with some other short stacks, this is 100% a spot to, uh, be aggressive, uh, versus short stacks. Uh, we should be playing very passively against the larger stack, uh, and not trying to get into big hands with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause that can just mean, you know, ICM disaster for us. Uh, it can also be ICM disaster for our uh, small stack friends, our opponents, uh, to try and play a big pot against us. Because if they're wrong, they get knocked out. If we were wrong, you know, not too much happens to us. So they have to play really tight versus us. Uh, so we should be attacking the short stacks ferociously on a final table bubble. Uh, so yeah, definitely the right idea of how we should be approaching this. All right. So all that said, here we are. Let me get this uh, queued up here. Um, so we are dealt uh, queen ten, um, and we are under the under the gun, which is basically you know in this at this table it's the hijack. Um, so this is a hand that I'm gonna, especially in this kind of spot, I'm I'm very comfortable opening. Um, it's a hand that you know is is sometimes a hand that you can get into a lot of trouble with. There's a lot of reverse implied odds with this kind of hand, but it's a hand that I feel like with this dynamic in play, um, I've been taking a lot of pots down just by opening and everyone folding. So, and it's a hand that has a lot of playability as well. So I'm very comfortable opening it, which I do. Um, Let's go. I promise I do. Here we go. Mm-hmm. So we're at the one twenty two forty level, and I just uh, min open. Uh, that has been really getting the job done at this point. Uh, earlier in the tournament, I'd be going uh, a little bit larger, but once we get to this late stage, I'm I'm really I really prefer a min open. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, in terms of stack sizes around us, so we have seven million, which is roughly thirty big blinds. Mm-hmm. Uh, to our left, the cutoff has three million, which is you know just over ten, what thirteen something like that. Yep, yep. Uh, then we have the button with four million, uh, so fifteen-ish big blinds. 
then the small blind is that chip leader with, you know, more than us. So just over 30 big blinds as well. And then the big blind has a 20 big blind stack at about four and a half million. Um, so uh, really important to understand where stacks are in relation to you when you're opening. So yeah. I just wanted to point it out. We have two short stacks to our left, another short stack to our immediate right. And then the big stack is like kind of two to our right or three to our left, whichever way you want to look at it. And like I mentioned, you can't see this, but I have been watching the other table with the other five players. The biggest stack there has 4.7 million and there's some even shorter stacks at that table. So most of the chips are at this table, which is also something to keep in mind because there are a couple of like seven and eight big blind stacks over at the other table. So there's some people who are really getting into some trouble. Okay, so we open and true to form the cutoff and button fold and we get a call from the small blind and a call from the big blind. And the flop comes nine of diamonds, 10 of spades, six of spades um, and it's going to check to us. And I'll tell you what, do you want me to tell you what I did or do you want to tell me what you let's, think I should have done? Yeah, go. let's go through the hand. We'll set the stage. Okay. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wind it back. Okay, sounds good. So uh, we get two checks and I decide to check this through. I'm, I'm looking to protect my checking range. I, again, don't want to get into a big pot. I feel like spades are going to check raise me a lot. I'm going to be in a really painful spot here uh and i i'm very comfortable going to a turn with a top pair decent kicker and going into more of a um you know i'm going to call down a, a turn bet here unless turn gets wild um and kind of go from there um but um and so i'm i'm really i'm expecting to face probably a bet from this uh from this big stack here uh a lot of the time i think once this checks through they have the big stack they can put a lot of pressure on people i'm expecting to see a bet from the small blind and i'm prepared to call <laughs> until small blind shoves once the six of hearts comes um and big blind gets out of the way and I am now faced with a board of nine of diamonds, 10 of spades, six of spades, six of hearts. I have again, queen 10 of diamonds. So I have top pair with queen kicker um, on a, you know, decent board mm -hmm. for me. You know, there's, there's you know, yeah. I, I don't know, how, small blinds flatting range here may include some seven, eight, uh, may include some sixes, but it seems unlikely yeah. to have that much of it. And so that's where I'm left with this big decision here. Yeah. And we're, we're in crunch time. We have our opponent taking a very weird decision line, uh, essentially jamming for almost four X pot, mm -hmm. uh, into us on this turn. And we're left trying to decide, big time decisions. Do we have the best hand? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting, you know, hand how this all plays out, but, um, I'm going to roll us back for a second. I'm going to go back, uh, pre-flop. And, uh, I was talking a lot about, you know, being very aware of the stack sizes around us and what's going on here. Uh, just want to get your perspective, uh, in terms of, like where the button is, what are the spots that we should be most aggressive or 
increasing our aggression the most compared to other spots where we potentially want to maybe ratchet down our aggression or not increase aggression from those spots. Do you have a perspective of when should we be opening up more? I, I want to avoid opening probably when the big stack is on the big blind or the button. Those are the those are the hands I'm going to be the most cautious on. And otherwise, I feel like I've got a pretty strong green light to c- continue this practice. This feels like a pretty um, optimal spot um, because that big the the big stacks in the small blind, so they're mm-hmm. they're in the worst position at the table and are gonna have to fold a lot more yep yeah that exactly how we should be thinking about that when the big stack is in the small blind or when they're going to be out of position on us as uh, the spots that we want to take and uh you're also right that we should be wary of when they're in the big blind because they're more inclined to call and kind of play a hand versus us we want to pick the spots where we can just you know just pick off chips really easily And this being under the gun is one of those spots. It may seem counterintuitive that, hey, we're under the gun first to act. Uh, But when that big stack is in the small blind, that's a green light for us to be opening up. And queen 10 suited, 100% an open here. Uh, We could probably go pretty far down the list. Um, I think you open 10-8 suited here. Mm Mm-hmm. Nine seven suited, probably. Yeah, the way this probably. table, this the way this table's been playing, I, I definitely would be for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd probably even open up like eight six suited. Only when I start getting into really big, like high card issues, do I potentially uh, find a fold with like a, a suited gapper. Uh, so queen ten suited, just you know, real easy decision. I hear, I think to uh, open. Uh, so the only other question then pre flop is to what size and. To me, there's no decision other than just a min open. Uh, we're just, you know, trying to apply as much pressure as we can, but at the lowest risk amount to us. Because what are what are the short stacks going to do if they want to play a hand? They're shoving. They're shoving. So let's minimize uh, our losses if they do shove, and let's capitalize on the fact that they just have to fold a lot just due to ICM, and we have a ton of fold equity just by raising. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I, I know you know a lot of this stuff, but it, it is insanely important when we're in right, this right, right. portion of the tournament to kind of bring up that aggression and yep. try to bring it up in low-risk spots. Great spot for us to do it here, just opening up to two big blinds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so... I, I, obviously, we don't get the exact result that we were hoping for. I, I think we, we just want to you know raise it to two big blinds. Everyone folds, and we just move on with our day. Uh, but we do get a call from the small blind, which should be somewhat concerning, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Because uh, what you've been saying in terms of what's happened up until this point is kind of how things should be you know, playing out. They should be tightening up whenever you open and you should be tightening up whenever they open because we don't want to get into huge pots against one another. Even though we're one and two, and if we bust the other person, we become a massive chip leader. That's still not something we want to do here when there's 10 people left. So them calling should be alarming to us. Uh, and then the big blind calling along uh, likely just has you know pot odds, You know, just knows that they're getting a good price to call here and see a flop. 
Right. So I'm, I'm concerned about small blind. I'm less concerned about the big blind. I agree. All right. So then we move on to the flop and we get a wet board. So we have a, a six, nine, 10, two spades, you know, potential for straights, uh, generally connected and connected with calling ranges pretty well, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate for us. Even though we have top pair, there is that concern in us. So it checks to us and we're stuck with the decision of what do we do here on this flop? And I know you talked a lot about, you know, trying to keep our checking range strong. Um, we probably don't want to, you know, be betting too much here. We also probably don't want to be, you know, always checking. Um, but there's a lot of things I think we should be considering here on this given board. One is multi-way. Two, who, who are we putting pressure on when we bet? Because uh, there are two people that we're playing against. Um, I always think, am I trying... Is the person that I want out of the hand the first one to act or the closing action person? And then lastly, what hands do we get to fold if we do make a bet and get them to fold? So those are some of the key things that I'm thinking about here uh, when we get this flop and it checks to us. Um, I understand the protecting your checking range, but there's a couple of things that make me want to bet on this board specifically. Um, one, we've got a pretty decent hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we get called by worst tens. Mm-hmm. I think we get called by nines. Mm-hmm. I think we potentially get called by a hand that just contains a seven or an eight mm-hmm. and potentially get called by a six. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a decent amount worse than us that call and we can just, you know, start getting some value. Uh, some hands that we get to fold our hands that have some decent equity versus us, some overcard combos, uh, you know, hypothetically, maybe they just called with like ace jack. We might get ace jack to fold here. And it may seem counterintuitive to, you know, half top pair and just get, you know, two over cards, two high cards to fold, but we're denying them equity. If we just check, we allow them to potentially see an ace or a jack or a king. We don't know exactly what they might have here. Uh, Cause if we think about it from that lens, we're kind of in a spot where what turn cards do we feel better about? And potentially if it checks to us on the turn that we'd want to bet. Yeah. There's, there's not many turn cards out there that make us feel good. It's potentially like a two, three or four, maybe a five, but everything else like six through ace, I guess, including a 10 or a queen queen is all right. Dicey. Yeah. So Stack like, of diamonds would be all right. <laughs> give you the potential for a straight flush draw. Yeah. But like, there's just so many that don't feel good. So I, on this board, I lean towards betting. And a lot of it is to get value from hands that are worse than us, than are going to call. Cause if you flop second pair here, you're not folding. Uh, and then also getting some of those overcards that don't know they have equity versus us to fold, which is, you know, a win for us, but it, it may not feel like it um, when they just fold around. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think oh, there's that makes a, couple, a lot of sense. Yeah. I think there's a couple of reasons to bet here. You talked a lot about a fear of being check raised. 
And um, I think, and I view these situations as much lower risk of being check raised. Hmm. Uh, Hypothetically speaking, if we take the small blind out of this equation, the chip leader, and the big blind is left in there, he's got 18 big blinds behind. Are you scared of getting all in versus the big blind on this board? No. No. Right. So we're, we're only worried about being check raised by one person. Right. Right. Um, so it, it, right. Like if we get it in versus that stack, we may not be good. We may not, you know, we may be in a good spot. We may be in a bad spot, but no matter what it's, it's probably going to be roughly plus chip EV and neutral ICM EV, even in like the bad case scenarios of what they're check raising with. So shouldn't be too concerning from that piece. It's really just that first person and they're going to be the first person to act. So we have, you know, slightly more incentive to be less worried about the check raise here and everything that we've talked about this far, like how should you be viewing these situations? How should our opponents be viewing these situations? They shouldn't really want to get into a big pot with us. They really shouldn't be check raising us too much. Mm -hmm. And if they do that big stack, they probably have a big hand and are comfortable, you know, playing big versus us. Um, So if for those reasons, I am not too worried about being check raised. I think I'm getting a good amount of better car or worse hands to call us and potentially some hands with small amounts of equity to fold. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is a spot to be betting. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, I was, I was, because I was, I, I think one of the, these spots I get sort of, I do like, I'm so hyper aware of like, this is the one player who I can't get into it with that. Like I probably become more passive than I ever really should be. Even, I mean, even though you need to be careful against them that um, maybe, you know, that, that probably weighs on me too much in terms of decision-making. Mm-hmm. And if we do, so we, we've talked about, you know, stay, stay in your own corners, you know, stay away from each other. Don't fight. But what if we are in a situation where we do have to, you know, joust it out a little bit, isn't this the kind of spot we want to be in? Right. Right. Be in position, have top pair. Like this is, this is the spot where we're all right. You know, going to a little battle with them. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, as played, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I did not do that. Um, yeah. And so I can it, see that making a, a lot of sense. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to see small blind then react. Uh, you know, I, the thing I think I also that you pointed out that's a really good point that I don't think I was considering enough is that this is, it doesn't feel like a multi-way hand. Like big blind just feels so irrelevant, mm-hmm. but it it's not irrelevant to small blind. Like, the fact that they would have to either check raise or do anything next or call or, or whatever, and potentially face a big blind that is shoving, um, which could very reasonably do with a lot of different holdings, um, should slow down small blind quite a bit. Um, and I think that's a really good point and something that I don't think I was thinking about in game enough. Mm-hmm. But I, I think where you were thinking about it was correct because I'm assuming rooted in your decision to check flop was 
hey, I'm not going to go three streets with this. Right. There's there's almost no situation where I go for three streets of value. So I'm going to go for one to two streets and I'm going to evaluate how it plays out. And I'm going to try and turn my hand into a bluff catching hand, let the opponent bet into me. And then I can just pot control being in position, which I totally understand. Um, And part of my reason for betting flop is the intention of most likely checking turn. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, there's going to be so many turn cards that come out that could potentially just, you know, make us feel a little bit dicey about our hand strength, uh, which is going to, you know, fare very well with just a check back on the turn. And then evaluate river, which is most likely either call or try and make another uh, small value bet on the river, depending on how it potentially runs out. And ultimately, I think (laughs) if we do bet here, it's very likely we go heads up to a turn. I mean, I think big Mm -hmm. blind is is very frequently folding. So that's another advantage to that, too. Yep. Um, Well, so, but... I did check. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, any sort of forward thinking we had here goes out the window because the small blind, the big stack, takes an action that we never expect them to take. Yeah. By jamming all in. It it really, like, I was like, wait, am I reading this right? <laughs> did they just <laughs> shove? Wow. I mean, I can, I can have tens here. I can have, you know, I can have all of those kinds of hands um Mm -hmm. so this is a it's a big risk on their part yeah and this is this is a classic spot and people you know everyone playing poker has been put into this spot at some point multiple times you know and no matter the situation we've all made the decision to fold in these spots when we thought we were potentially ahead We've all called when we thought we were potentially ahead. We've all, you know, we've taken every sort of action and we've, you don't know it, but you've folded times where you shouldn't have and you've folded times where you definitely should have. And then on the sides where you've called and you've, you know, seen there's the times where you called and were correct and the times that you've called and were totally wrong. And that's what makes these like weird spots so tough. There's, there's no answer that's right. It's always, you know, here's this huge spot. I'm putting a ton of pressure on you. Am I trying to get you to fold or am I trying to get you to call uh, for a massive pot coming my way? Mm -hmm. So uh, whenever I'm put into like a spot like this and it's just, you know, one more decision for everything, uh, my first thought always goes to what's my history with my opponent how do I think they potentially play and how would they play value hands and how would they play bluffs in this spot? And if I, that, this is a little bit of some of the stuff that I was sort of thinking about. Um, the, the, this thing that's like, I think the hardest part of this for me is that we have been avoiding each other. Right. So there is this history of sort of like somebody being careful and somebody, um, you know, I, I don't know. But the other part of me is like, but this player seemed like they were they were decent. Like they they played well. I had been at a number of tables with them. They had decent numbers. They weren't getting out of line. And I feel like if they had value, they'd want to get some they'd want to get paid for it. So I, I can't I can't make sense of this bet. I, I really can't. Like uh 
I mean, is this is this quad sixes and they're just so nutted that they're just like, I hope somebody calls me. But like, how can you not want to get paid on that? I just mm-hmm. I, I yeah. have no idea what they're doing other than what I ultimately decided is like this feels like somebody who maybe had spades and had a plan like they wanted to check raise so badly and got foiled by me checking that they just shoved mm-hmm. is is what I ultimately came down to. And even when I came down to that, I folded because I just I was like, I, I can I can play the rest of this field. I still have a dominating chip stack. There's no reason to just even though I'm fairly certain that I'm ahead here, that there's no reason to go out right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, what I hear you saying is you're trying to, you know, rationalize in your mind, like, what are the bluffs that he has, right. which you're constituting as spades, yep. having the spade flush draw in some sort of capacity, maybe a bluff that they have. Uh, but then there's also the other side of what potential value could they have? And you went really extreme with quad sixes. Um, but I think there's also potentially some other hands that they have here um, that could try and do this for value. Um, I know you mentioned it like right away going through this, but like seven, eight to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, straights are, I believe I'm stealing this phrase from you actually, straights are a hand that never get better. Right. You can't improve a straight. And now this board got a little bit scarier for a stra- uh, straight. Uh, so maybe it's fear that they have that they're jamming here. Uh, Maybe they just have a six in their hand and they went from having mid value, thinking that potentially you're checking back some sort of your value hands and they can just, you know, make this look super bluffy when they just hit trips on the turn. Um, They could potentially have a set like nines. Uh, You potentially think they'd be three betting you, but you know, you never really know. So there's there's a lot of value that they could have here. And I think, you know, a small amount of bluffs, uh, unless we've had history to think that, you know, our opponent's kind of crazy, which you've said the opposite. You said they've seen like they've been playing pretty well. I think even average to above average players never make this bluff unless they have it. It's a, this bet, unless they have it, it's, it's very rarely a bluff. Um, so when I see this, um, I feel really upset. <laughs> I, I had some sort of value, but I just know I'm beat. Right. Um, and I don't want to know that I'm beat. I just want to go on living my life saying I was beat here and I made a good lay down because mm-hmm. there's, there's great plays that poker players can make. And the least appealing, but also one of the most successful uh, skills a poker player can have is making hero folds. Right. Uh, it doesn't feel good to make a hero fold, but this is kind of a spot. They made it easy for us to fold here, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think this is a spot where they're very rarely making so, this as a bluff. La- last question for you, because I've been thinking about this since this hand. What's the worst hand you would call here in this spot mm-hmm. with? It's a good question. I was actually going to flip that and ask you the question. Um, I mean, I think and, I would have to call with seven eight. I think I would. Um, yes, I would call a seven eight. And I think so. I think, but I think that's the 
worst hand. I don't think I'm calling with nine ten. Don't think I am. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a really important thing to consider here is uh, blockers. Um, and what could our opponent potentially be doing this with? And I think having nine ten exactly is a terrible hand blocker-wise for us to have and constitute making a call. Because mm-hmm. um, the you want the like if they have a, sh- a range that they're shoving with, we want to be able to beat the bottom end of that value range. And when we have nine ten exactly. We limit amount the amount of those hands because we're kind of hoping that they have a hand like ten nine right. when right. we're deciding to make a call. Um, so I think pocket jacks makes a really somewhat appealing of a, a call here because we unblocked them having a ten and we unblock them having a nine. Um, I also think a hand like ten eight is potentially better for us to have as a call than a hand like queen 10. Because when we have that eight, we block them having the straights. So I kind of want to have that slight combinatoric uh, advantage of blocking some of those value hands or unblocking the weak value hands that we might be able to beat. So it's kind of one of those weird situations that... um, I think if you're new to poker, you think of everything linearly, like, hey, you know, the next best hand is jacks and then queens and then kings. And you should be, you know, having a line somewhere in the sand that says we should call this, but not call below it and call above it. Uh, But there is kind of some advantage of having blockers or having hands that don't block some of our opponent's hands. And again, another thing to call out, we don't have any spades, right? Um, so there is a potential that they are on a spade draw, which may open up some of this bluffing range for them. Uh, but I still think all those things considered, like that's not enough for us to change this hand into a call. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The, the other question I had that I'm going to bring up for you is, uh, are you more or less likely to call if instead of being five-handed with 10 people left we are five-handed left at the final table mm-hmm. <sighs> uh and we're, it's like the same kind of this everybody has the same stack sizes and we're this is kind of five-handed and we're yep. we're i think i am even less likely to call in that spot um because every ICM ladder is so valuable and I have still such a valuable chip stack that I the 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 closer we get to that top money I can't be wrong. What do you is that right? <laughs> uh I I think they're fairly close, but I think you should be like c- comparing the situations, everything you said is true. But that is also still very true being on the final table bubble. Right. Right. Like you're you're at a point where the ladders are shallower, 
but that doesn't mean it's uh, better for you to bust there. Mm-hmm. Busting in 10th in a tournament this big is atrocious. Like, remember what you said, talking about the, the prizes of where we're at and, you know, what's up top versus where we are right now. Um, if we make this call in this spot and are right, we're still like not guaranteed to win the tournament. We right. increase our likelihood by a ton, mm-hmm. but we still have eight other people to get through to get to that win. Uh, if we're five-handed and we do this, we are a enormous favorite to win the tournament. Um, yeah, so uh, I think we should be more likely to call if this was five-handed with five people left than five-handed with 10 people left. We really don't want to tangle and lose in this spot. And when we're five-handed approaching that trophy, we can you know, open it up. Hmm. Still would not be calling in this spot but just you know the the generality of you know if we're five-handed with five people left versus five-handed with 10 people left is also something to be aware of yeah yeah no that makes a lot of sense cool, cool. so i don't think you ever got to the point where you actually decided what you did here so for those that don't know Let's tell them the story of what did Chris Jones here. We've heard our perspective. We've heard our review. I, but in game, what did Chris game, do? In game, I let the time run out, all the time I ever had for this whole tournament. I never use extra time. But for this one, I did. And uh, I folded. Yep. I, I, I like the decision. Uh, everything we've talked about, the huge ICM spot. Um, we don't need to put our tournament fate after we've, you know, battled our way through 3000 plus entries to get to the final 10 to, to let that go away here. Um, and I don't think our opponent in this spot is willing to let that go away so easily here with a huge bluff jam. Right. Right. That could go awry for them. Right. So I think this was a really good fold, uh, to, you know, half top pair, pretty good kicker, face a huge amount of aggression and just be able to let it go. It doesn't feel good doing it, but I think it's the right thing. <clears throat> and obviously how I'm suggesting it probably plays out quite differently. Yeah. Uh, I still stand by the fact that like, I think this should probably be a flop bet. Um, but at the same time, who knows what happens do then they check raise and we're getting into a weird spot there and we potentially can't get away from it from that point. So, um, theoretically, I think that's the right way of approaching this hand, but in actuality, you may have lost the minimum here, which is always a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. Indeed. But I'd probably be betting in this kind of spot next time. (laughs) Yeah. and it, it, it's villain dependent too. It's situation dependent. All these things are what make poker and tournament poker so much fun for us. Right, right. So uh, thanks, Chris, for bringing this hand. I thought it meant, made a great discussion. I love talking about ICM spots. I love talking about, you know, all these different things that we need to consider when we go into a poker hand. So thank you once again for bringing that. Yeah, no, thanks um, for talking about it with me. Yeah. If you're out there and you're thinking, hey, I want to be part of this next discussion. I'm a Rec Poker Premium member. 
Remember, all you have to do is email jim at rec.poker, submit your hand or topic, plus the wrecking crew member that you'd like to meet with. And Jim will work some magic on the side, get you set up, and we'll record one of these with you. So um, thank you again, Chris. And thank you to our sponsors. Uh, we have the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino, uh, Website Amp, and smallsmallbusiness.com. So thank you to all three of those sponsors. And thank you again, Chris. We'll talk to you next month. Taylor. <laughs>